All right, kids, come on up to the front, please. And I need strong kids today. I need some kids who are really powerful and strong. You can lift your mom. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you to volunteer. Where's mom? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I need the smallest person first. Who is the smallest person? Would, do you want to be the volunteer or Cassie? Do you want to be the volunteer? Is she comfortable, you think? Because we're going to be, we're going to be, it's going to take a little bit of bravery. She's pretty shy. Okay, we, we won't put her on the spot. Cat, Cat, Cassie, are you willing to be brave? Are you willing to be brave, Cassie? Okay, we'll move on. Lucy, Lucy, come on up. I'm going to, I'll ask you to come up next, but I'm going to have you be one of my, one of my strong people. Okay, Lucy, come on up. Are you willing to be brave? Okay. I need four strong people. Uh, one. Oh, this is hard. How about? Well, why don't we do this? We'll do we'll do two sets of, of strong people. So one, two, three, four. You guys are over here. One, two, three. Ooh, I need one more strong one. One, two, three. Piano. You can come on over then if you can lift a piano. All right, so four strong people over here, four strong people over here, and Cassie right here in the middle. Okay, four strong people, just stand over there for a second. Four strong people, move over there a little bit farther. Cassie, come up in the middle. And then, Rova, you are going to be the doctor. And you're going to be the nurse. Okay? And so you will be, where you two will be the, the medical people, okay? So, Kat, you don't want to do it? Okay, she's gonna be shy. Do you want to come up and be the be the 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 the, the, the patient? No, who wants to be the patient? Okay, come on up, be the patient. Okay, I that's we'll work it out. We'll work it out. All right, so your your legs don't work. Sit down. <laughs> she broke her leg. Oh my goodness, she broke her leg. We've got to take her to the doctor. How are we going to get her to the doctor? Here, get her to the doctor. Get her to the doctor, quick! You gotta get her to the doctor! Help her! Help, 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 help! Don't hurt her! Don't hurt her for real! I need one more person! I need one more person! Come on up, another strong person! Carry her to- Okay, that's good, that's good! Okay, down! Woo! That was, that was fun! Now! (coughs) Go ahead and sit down, I wanna talk to you about something. Do you know we're going to have you guys do it in just a second. Go ahead and everyone sit down. Do you know that this is a Bible story, what we just did? Did you know that? Yeah. Let's do it one more time. Who wants to be the patient? Me. No, you're too big. <laughs> Eleanor, Lucy, you want to be the patient? Okay, come on up. And then you, you four strong people and Matthew, come on. Okay, now, hold on. I want these four people to try being the strong people. Lucy, you can help her get onto the blanket because she broke her leg. She broke her leg. Oh, my goodness. Help her. Help her. Help her. Help. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. Pick her up and carry her. Ah, hold on. Be safe. Be safe. Carry her to the doctor. There's the doctor over there. Okay. Stop, 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 okay. Careful. Put her down. Put her down. Put her down. Oh, yay. Woo. 
Oh my goodness, you got her to the doctor. Okay. I am dramatic. Okay. Everybody sit down now. Matthew, go sit with your father. No, I'm just kidding. All right. But you know what? One of the problems in the Bible story was Jesus was the doctor that they were trying to get him to. And when they were carrying their friend, he didn't just have a broken leg. He couldn't use either one of his legs. They were totally paralyzed. And his friends were carrying him on. Oh, and they were carrying him and they couldn't get him inside because there was too many people. There was too many people. They were blocking the door. So what did they have to do? They made a hole in the roof. But how did they get to the roof? They used the ladder. They used the ladder? How in the world would they carry their friend with a blanket up a ladder? Well, actually, what scholars think actually happened was it wasn't a ladder. They think it actually was stairs, that they had like a staircase outside and that the roof was flat. And then how did they get them? They made a hole. They made a hole in the person's roof. Do you know what the Bible says? It literally says that they unroofed the roof. That's what the Bible says. It says that the four friends that carried the paralyzed man up the stairs onto the roof. Then they said, oh, my goodness, how are we going to get our friend down to Jesus? So they unroofed the roof. Exactly. How does that work? I'll tell you how it worked. The roof wasn't like our roofs. The roof in those ty- those days, it was flat and you could walk on it. It was like walking on dirt. And what they had made the roof out of was like sticks and twigs and ropes and and and, and dirt and mud. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And so they literally just started digging and pulling out the sticks and pulling out the, and cutting the rope. And they made a hole big enough to lower their friend down. And can you imagine? Jesus is in the house. He's talking to his friends. He's preaching the sermon. And all of a sudden the roof starts falling down. Hey, what's going on up there? And then all of a sudden this guy is in a blanket and they're lowering him down. Well, these guys up on the roof, they're trying to get it down there, but they can only go so far and they're, they might drop the guy. So the people in the house have to run over and help get him and bring him down and put him on the floor. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible said that Jesus saw the faith of the friends. And he said to the man, your sins are forgiven and I heal you. And the man got up and picked up his bed and walked home. Isn't that amazing? But you know what was so cool about that story? That man whose legs were broken, who they couldn't work. He could not get to Jesus. The only way he could get to Jesus was because his friends helped carry him to Jesus. That's what I'm saying. You guys know Jesus. You come to church and you know God and you love God, but you probably have friends who don't know God. And maybe God is going to use you to help your friend come to know God, come to know Jesus. Maybe you'll have to carry him up on a roof and unroof the roof. Who knows? Who knows? 
But the question, the thing is this, really and truly, God can even use you guys to help someone come to know Jesus. I have one more story I'm going to tell you. This is out of real life. And then I'm going to pray with you and send you to your class. My wife, Miss Renee, you know who that is, right? She's, she's teaching the teens right now. She went downstairs to, te- to teach the teen class. My wife, when she was five years old, she lived in a small community that was in the middle of nowhere. And there was some farms and that kind of stuff around it. And her father was the pastor of the church. And there was an older couple that were farmers, but they were retired now. And they, Renee called them grandma and grandpa Chase. They weren't really her grandma and grandpa. They were just older people in the church, but she called them grandma and grandpa Chase. And they would go over to grandma and grandpa Chase's house all the time to have food. And every single time they would go to eat, Grandpa Chase would turn to Renee's dad and the pastor and say, would you please pray the grace over our meal? And so my father-in-law, Renee's dad, would pray the grace over the meal and then they would eat. One day, Renee was five years old. One day, when Grandpa Chase said to Renee's father, Pastor, would you pray the grace over our meal so that we can eat? The five-year-old little girl, Renee, said, Grandpa Chase... How come you don't ever pray? And he started to cry. You know why? Because he had never, ever, ever told Jesus he loved him. Until that minute. Because a little girl, a five-year-old girl said, Grandpa Chase, how come you don't pray? And then all of a sudden, God said to Grandpa Chase, how come you don't pray to me? I love you and I want you to be my child. Will you pray to me? And Grandpa Chase said, yes, I will. And Grandpa Chase prayed that day and gave his heart to Jesus and became a Christian because a five-year-old girl loved him enough to say, why don't you pray? So even you guys, when you're little, little guys, can still show someone how to be a Christian and show them how to love God. Just like these friends brought their friend to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, bless these kids. Help them to learn the power that's available to them that they can witness to their friends and help them to come to know you and become friends of God. Bless these kids. Help them now as they go to their class. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys going back to your class. Thank you so much for paying attention. I'll put this over here because I don't need that anymore. I've been to church already. Oh, Lord, help me. Okay, Evelyn, if you'd bring up that very first slide. Today, we are reading uh, or looking at uh, Mark chapter 2. And if you turn to, uh, I left my Bible out there. If you turn to Mark chapter 2, the very first, um, excuse me, the very first verse of that chapter, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Hmm. Jesus was at home. In Capernaum. 
Now, if you look at the map on the screen, you'll see there's the Sea of Galilee. <coughs> and up on the left-hand side, above, it's the north, is it northwest? Yeah, northwest side of the, of the thing. Capernaum is located. And you'll see also just above Capernaum, you'll see a town called Chorazin. And then to the right, the east, you'll see Bethsaida. Bethsaida, Bethsaida, however you want to pronounce it. Those three villages are literally right along the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And it is in those three villages that the majority of Jesus's ministry took place. Now, why is Capernaum important? Because when Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist, God called Jesus out into the wilderness. And then after his time in the wilderness, God led Jesus to the village of Capernaum. And while he was in the village of Capernaum, he was speaking to people along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he asked a fisherman who had just come in from fishing all night and hadn't caught anything, can I use your boat as a platform from which to speak? And the, and the fisherman said, sure. So he put out a little ways and Jesus stood in the boat and spoke to the people on the shore of Galilee. That was Simon Peter. Then Jesus, to thank him for the use of the boat, said, why don't you let your nets out? And Simon Peter said, I've been fishing all night and there ain't no fish here right now. And he said, then he looked, but, but the word says that he looked at Jesus and he said, but at your word, because you say so, I'll do it. And so they let the nets out and the catch of fish was so great that G, uh, Simon called his brother Andrew and then they had to call their friends James and John and they all came and they lifted the... And there were so many fish that they couldn't even count them. And then Peter was cut to the, to the heart and he said, please depart from me, I am a sinful man. Please, I don't have... And he entered into relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> and then Jesus said to Simon, where do you live, Simon? And he said, right here in Capernaum. He said... Can I come to your house for coffee? Sure. So they went. And the Bible tells us that when he got there, Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. And so Jesus healed her. And being a good Jewish mother, she stood up and said, what are you people doing here? You want something to drink, something neat? Come on, come on, come on, come on. And she literally starts feeding Jesus and Simon and the other people that were there. And it ends up that Simon and Jesus become such close friends that Simon offers Jesus a place to stay. So this place in Capernaum, Simon's village, becomes Jesus's place of headquarters for his ministry. And Simon's house becomes Jesus's house. It's kind of like, if you remember back in the Old Testament, there was the prophet's room that was built for the prophet. And so whenever the prophet was coming through, the prophet had a place to stay and to sleep. I don't know if you remember that story. We can look at it some other time. But it's the same idea. Simon Peter had a spare room and he said, listen, anytime you're in Capernaum, 
Come and stay with us. You don't have to stay, you know, figure out where you're going to sleep or sleep out in the woods. Just come on and stay with us. So turn now to Mark chapter two, verse one, and you'll read when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported he was at home. Mark 1, 29, 21 and 29 says, I'm just going to quickly read it. And he went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and there was astonished and they were astonished at his teaching. So he's in Capernaum teaching and then 29, it says, and immediately he left the synagogue and he went to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, blah, 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 blah. So I just told you that story, but that's Mark chapter one. So Mark two is us hearing that Jesus's headquarters is at Capernaum. And Mark 1, 21 and 29 shows that Jesus met Peter and got to his house and healed his mother-in-law. And then that's how they started. But look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. In Jesus's teachings, and this is in Matthew, it says, Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. See, Jesus didn't own property. Jesus didn't own a house. He didn't have a family that he was responsible to take care of every day. I mean, he took care of his mother. He had a responsibility of her. But um, but as far as his day to day, he literally lived as an itinerant preacher. He just went wherever the Holy Spirit led him. And he slept out in the stars. I mean, if you go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, I think it is, it says, early in the morning, he got up and he went out into a a remote place to pray. It was Jesus' practice to just be wherever he was and to take his rest whenever wherever he was at. But his headquarters became Jesus, uh, uh, Peter's house in Capernaum. But it was interesting in that that passage out of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 2 and look at Mark. Go ahead and bring up the next slide, if you will. Mark chapter 2, verse 10 says, um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus talks about himself by calling himself the son of man. Matthew chapter eight, when he's giving instructions, he says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to rest or to lay his head. Here in Mark chapter two, he's challenging the people who are confronting him about him declaring that the, the, the paralytic sins were forgiven. And he, he says in that passage that he perceives that the people, the scribes and the Pharisees that are there are thinking in their thought, who does he think he is? And he says, so that you'll know that I, but he actually says that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. Okay, so Jesus calls himself the son of man. Now, bring up the next slide, Evelyn, please. This phrase, the son of man or son of man, simply means human. 
Don't turn here. If you want to turn here, you can. But I don't have a slide for it. Psalms 8, verses 3 and 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This phrase, the son of man or son of man, literally just means humankind. Humanity, human. It is just a phrase talking about, if you will, the the natural, physical, human. Bring up the next slide. The prophet Ezekiel is called son of man 90 times. See, son of man is a common phrase, a common term. It's, it is biblical and it talks about humanity. It talks about you being human. But Jesus is called the Son of Man 83 times in the New Testament. And only one of those times is he called the Son of Man by someone other than himself. And that one time is when Stephen, the deacon, is being stoned and it says he sees heaven opened and I see, he says in testimony, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. So even in Stephen's talking about the Son of Man, he's talking about Jesus. But Jesus, throughout his the Gospels, 82 times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, this phrase, the Son of Man, go ahead, bring the, the next slide up, please. Um, the key to this, the difference between Ezekiel be called, being called Son of Man and Jesus being called the Son of Man is the definite article, the. You will never find anywhere in the Bible anyone being called the Son of Man except for the Messiah. Turn, bring up the next slide. The significance of that term, the Son of Man, starts out in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. It says in that, those, those, two, passages, those two verses, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, nations and languages to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So Jewish thought from that passage was that the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, would be the Son of Man. Because Daniel was given that vision of the one who was like a Son of Man, or that was, was yeah, one like a Son of Man, came to the Ancient of Days, that's the, the throne of God, 
and was presented before him. And then to this son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples and nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Do you see with the messianic flavor in all of that? So it is significant for your theology to understand that Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. Now, let's look at this thing about faith. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. Mark chapter 2, and I, I read it to the kids, but also I read it again earlier uh, at the beginning of the sermon. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he then said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith? The friends, the ones who took it upon themselves to bring their paralytic friend to Jesus, they believed he could heal him. Now, they didn't come out and say, we believe you're the Messiah. They believed he had the power to heal. And they did everything within their physical power to make sure that their son, their, their friend was in the very presence of God, or of, of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing their faith, declares to this man, your sins are forgiven. That seems a little bit confusing to me. One scholar I read said, well, there could very easily include the paralytic who was being carried I mean, it's not like he was doing, what are they doing to me? I don't know what's going on. I mean, literally, he was probably in anticipation and his faith was right there along with theirs. So Jesus responding to that faith declares your sins are forgiven, which strikes me as odd. If I bring my dear friend who has a desperate need to the doctor, he broke his leg, he fell out of the thing and he broke his leg and we loaded him up and we carried him to you. And the doctor looked at him and said, everything you've ever done wrong is forgiven. I didn't ask you to make him feel good about himself. I asked you to fix what's broken. But Jesus responds your sins are forgiven. He doesn't even talk about bringing healing to this man. Why? Why is it important? And this is something that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark is the most uh, detail-filled story, but it is a gospel story from all three of the synoptic gospels. Why was Jesus the Son of Man why did he respond in the way that he did? And we'll never get it because we are Western Gentile Christians. If you were a first century Jew, you would understand this teaching. The rabbis of that day said a sick person does not arise from his sickness until all his sins are forgiven him. That was the teachings of the rabbis in the culture in which Jesus was ministering. 
So for him to heal the man, he first had to declare him free of sin. Now, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, gives us a little sense of this cultural mindset. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to read it to you, but if you want to turn there, you can follow along. In Gospel of John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man, a man who was born blind. And his, past, his, his disciples ask him in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, as he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it wasn't that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, the mindset of the Jews was, if something bad happens to you, it's because of sin. If you were not sinning, God would have kept you from having bad stuff happen to you. And we even have that in some of our Western culture, Christianity, don't we? Oh God, why did you let this happen? Well, I must have done something wrong. Where did that come from? It goes back 2,000 years to the Jewish teaching that if you've got sickness, it's because of sin, and until the sin's resolved, you ain't getting better. That was the teaching of the day. Jesus negated that just with this John chapter 9 story, telling the Christians, ah, that's, mm, that's folklore, that's... Your grandma said that because your grandma said that because your grandma said that. It's like, you know, why do you cut the pot roast, the end of the pot roast off? I don't know. My mom did it. And the mom says, I don't know. My mom did it. The mom, the grandmother says, I don't know. My mom did it. Great grandmother says, I don't know why they do it, but I did it because I never had a pot big enough to hold the whole roast. <laughs> and we just pass things on because somebody else ahead of us did it or told us this just because. And this is, this is a sick thing that we do. And it's in our culture today. You will hear people say, I got this cancer because of some reason. I This happened to me because of some reason. There had to be. I have to figure out what it is and I have to make that right. Mm. Jesus said that's not the case. However, he was addressing the culture this time. These people had made a very public statement. Jesus, you're the only hope for this man. And we brought him to you. Please bring about healing. Well, to address the culture, he had to address the mindset that said, the reason he's paralyzed is because of sin. So I'm going to negate the sin, and then I'll heal him. Okay, now, in so doing, when he said to the guy, your sins are forgiven, bring up the next slide. Mark chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, some of the scribes, some of the leaders, now the scribes are the people who actually read the law and interpreted the law, okay? Some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts. They didn't challenge Jesus publicly. They didn't confront him and say, what are you talking about? They didn't do anything. But in their hearts, they're going, who does he think he is? Why does this man talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And where did that come from? Look at Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. Whoever blasphemes, oh, excuse me. 
that's the next part of it. Sorry. Where did it come from? I don't have the scripture references because I found them after I made the slides. Sorry. Um, but there are, there are passages where it says that God alone forgives sin. God alone washes away transgression. Why? Because he's the one that was offended. If I have sinned against a deity, then I have to make reparations and make an offering of sacrifice asking for forgiveness. And who has to do the forgiving? The one who was offended, the God. When I was a kid, I went to a church that taught me that when I went to confess my sins, I had to say, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. And I ask you to forgive me of, and then I would list out the sins that I had done. Because that's the mindset. You have offended God by your thoughts, by your actions, by your deeds. And so you need to make it right between you and God. And then God has to absolve you, has to forgive you of your sins. The only one that can forgive you is God. That was the Jewish mindset. That was the whole point of their faith. And then in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, it says, So whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. So we have this non-spoken undercurrent of challenge. Jesus, without saying anything to the scribes out loud, said, the son of man forgives you, declares you free of your sin. He did not say, I'm the Messiah. He didn't say, I'm the son of God. He didn't say, all he said was, the son of man declares you cleansed from your sin. But he always referred to himself as the son of man. And and Daniel chapter 7 tells us that is messianic. So by identifying himself as the son of man, he is in a nonverbal way, in a roundabout the way, saying, I'm the Messiah. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. So what is he saying? I'm the only one who can forgive sins. Because the Father has empowered me. But hear the other thing that's being said. The Son of Man means what in that world? Not the Son of Man, but the phrase Son of Man means what? Human. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man, the Messiah. He is also saying, I am a Son of Man, fully human. And he also is saying in this story, I am fully God because no one has the power to forgive sins but God. So I am declaring before everyone in this room and everyone out in the street, I am the Messiah. I am fully human and yet I am fully God. And there is the, the gospel, the, the gospel message of the doctrine of incarnation never being spoken out loud, but being spoken loudly. Do you get this? 
It's a powerful, powerful story. When somebody says, Jesus, how do you know he's God? You point of Mark chapter 2. Well, how can, how can you say he was really a human being and God? That's ridiculous. He never said that. Oh, yes, he did. Look at Mark chapter 2. What do you mean? I can tell you a story because my pastor just told me this week and he empowered me to be able to share it. So now you have the opportunity to bring a blanket to your friend so that they can be brought before the Almighty and have their brokenness healed and their sins forgiven. Because you're bringing them to the Son of Man who is fully human and fully God and has the ability to bridge the gap between the sinful humanity and the Almighty, pure, holy God. By his own self-sacrifice. Now, look at the response of the crowd. Next slide. We never saw anything like this. (laughs) Jesus made life very much better for the paralytic and for his friends. He honored their faith. He forgave the sins. He healed the paralytic. And at the same time he was doing that, Mark chapter 2 verse 2 says, he was preaching the word to everyone around. So the last thing we need to ask is what was the word that Jesus was preaching? Well, Jesus was preaching the good news, the gospel. What was the gospel? I just told you. Jesus made it known that he was fully human. He is a son of man. He made it known that he is fully God because he has the power to forgive sins. Jesus made it known that he was the anointed one, the Messiah, because he not only called himself a son of man, he said, I am the Son of Man. And Jesus did all of these pronouncements as he preached the gospel to the crowds of people. He did so in a way that did not give the Jewish authorities or the Roman authorities anything that they could charge him with. Because he's a smart Son of Man. And when Jesus preached the gospel in this way, the people were amazed and they gave God all the glory. But the point, the the last thing I want to point out is this. Jesus, whenever he preached, whenever he taught, always did so in a way so that those who had ears to hear could hear. He says that over and over and over again throughout his ministry. Why do you teach in parables, Jesus? I I teach in parables because there are some people here who are not going to hear no matter what I say. They already hardened their hearts. And I'm not here trying to win them over. I just want to win the ones that that are ripe and ready for harvesting. So Jesus, again, let's let's restate this one last time. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I want you to walk out of here knowing what you know. Jesus was a son of man. He was fully human. Jesus was fully God. He could forgive sins. And Jesus was the son of man. 
He was the Messiah. And in this little story that I have read over and over and over and over again for 50 plus years, I never experienced or understood that until this week when I started studying it. You guys need to get into the word and really, really chew on it and study it. Anyway, I'm done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this powerful message. And I pray, Father, that you would speak into us what we need to know so that we can share it with the people that we come in contact with, so that we can literally carry a blanket to them and say, can I carry you to the feet of Jesus? God, I praise you. I thank you. I give you glory. Amen. Amen. Come on up, Elsie.